Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello, I hope that whenever you're listening to this, you are having a good day. Now, I wasn't planning on doing extra episodes over the summer. However, two of my friends are going up to the Edinburgh Festival for the first time and they are newer stand-ups who I think are absolutely bloody brilliant and they're both queer and I thought why not do two little bonus apps why not do two little bonus apps to share some new young talented people that I've recently come across in the last couple of years with you so this week we have the brilliant Daniel Fox you might be aware of Daniel because he's massive on TikTok and on Instagram reels and stuff he's really really funny and we've worked together loads in the last few months and he mentioned that he likes the podcast so I said well why don't you come on it so uh, I've got a great conversation really thoroughly enjoyed chatting to him and hearing his story and hearing about how he's come to accept exactly who he is which I found really hopeful but as always I love hearing from you the email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com okay let us share the first one hi Susie I've been binging your podcast for the last few months and I love that you include stories from your listeners at the beginning of each episode you're welcome It makes the podcast feel really collaborative and adds the feeling of community that you've created. I wanted to share my story with you in the hopes that it might be helpful to someone else. Please feel free to use my name if you do share. I grew up in a very religious Catholic environment. I'm the second oldest of six children. I went to a Catholic school and we always went to church at the weekends, even when we were on holidays. This once led to us unwittingly attending a Greek Orthodox funeral where my aunt thought she was lining up for communion and accidentally ended up paying her respects to an open casket. Wow. For people who did not grow up religiously, it's very hard to explain how it permeates every aspect of your life. Ambulance sirens on the way to school were a wordless cue for a Hail Mary, with mum twisting around in the front seat to make sure we were all joining in. Statues of various saints lined every school corridor and every room other than the bathroom had a crucifix above the door. Sex ed took place in a religious education class and focused on abstinence, gruesome pictures of aborted fetuses, oh Christ, and the horrors of STDs. I didn't really learn what sex was until I was around 18 years old, and even so, one of the teachers excused himself on moral grounds and taught his class about Islam instead. The Catholic Church is explicitly homophobic, and my upbringing was no exception. A math lesson ended with a warning that gay people were destined for hell. Tom Daly was beloved by my granny until he came out and Stephen Fry was referred to as not a talented actor and storyteller, but as a raging homosexual. All this was very confusing and frightening when you don't understand your own feelings, but that you know somehow that you were different. I was consumed with an intense female friendship throughout most of my childhood and knew that if I was a man, I would marry her when I grew up. When I went to university, I was overwhelmed by the worldliness that I had been so sheltered from as a child. Flatmates having one night stands, alcohol seemed like a prerequisite for socialising, and I sought out the place that felt most like home, the Christian Union. Far from experience the release and freedom that university can bring, I felt lost, alone, and desperately wanted some certainty. Within a week, I had a Christian boyfriend, two years later we were engaged, and at 21 we were married. When my best friend came out as gay and started to question the faith that had locked him in the closet, I related to my own childhood crushes on friends and celebrities, all of whom were female. I told a few trusted friends that I thought I might be bi and felt that I had some explanation for the unsettling envy I felt for openly queer women. 
I became an outspoken ally and tried to give my little sister the safe space she never had as a kid. One of my favourite moments from the last few years was when my little sister was chatting about classmates who had started dating or having crushes and I started to say, you know it's okay if... And my sister cut me off and said, I know what you're going to say. She rolled her eyes. You're going to say it's okay if I date a boy or a girl. You always say that. I burst out laughing. Well, nobody told me that, I said. Last year, my increasingly rocky marriage crumbled and relieved, I started to rebuild my life. I realised I'd been waiting for something bad to happen to give me an excuse to leave, but I hadn't been able to in the past. I moved house, moved jobs, made time for friends and therapy, and a few months ago, I came out to the world as a lesbian. Your podcast has been a lifeline for me, and I was so excited to hear that you're beginning in Bury St Edmunds. I grew up there and will soon be moving back to the area to be near my family and my incredible girlfriend. Walking around the shops during Pride Month, holding hands with her, picking out LGBTQ plus books in Waterstones, I realised I was living the life I dreamt about for years, and I always thought would be impossible to have. I would love to meet you after your gig. I'm so grateful for everything you do. So much love. And she said I could share her name. Please feel free to use my name. And that is from Natasha. I always need to double check because I'm worried. I would hate to do the wrong thing. Thank you so much for emailing in, Natasha. To call this podcast a lifeline means so much to me. So I am so delighted uh, that it's been that for you. And I really love that you found such happiness. Good for you. Good for you. Right. And yes, wait for me after the Barry St. Edmunds gig. Of course, that's the last time I'm ever going to be doing that show. So I'm um, very excited to, to finish the show there. It should be fun. Okay, let's have one more. Hi, Susie. I want to say thank you for all your amazing work. Firstly, I absolutely love Snappy. That's my tour show. I cried laughing and nearly cried afterwards because the representation felt so good. I came out just before COVID hit, so I couldn't really connect to the community. So I spent ages watching queer stand-ups on YouTube. I understand why comedians do this, but a lot of the older stuff by queer comedians felt like they were using queer stereotypes to get laughs. I can't tell you how amazing it was to see you making jokes about homophobia rather than queer people in such a funny and clever way. That is a very nice thing to say. Thank you very much. I also love Out. I've had so many aha moments to people's stories when it helps me figure out stuff about my experience. And it's been really helpful for me to learn about the experiences of other people in our community, especially our trans siblings, to help me be a better ally. I'm getting in touch now because I had an aha moment recently and I thought I'd share it in case it's helpful to other listeners. When I was younger, I had a lot of chronic pain. There were physical roots, but it got worse and then eventually a lot better without any real medical explanation. I also had an eating disorder around the same time. I think a lot of it was tied to shame and guilt related to internalised homophobia. I think I thought that I didn't have to feel so guilty for existing if I was in pain as terrible as that sounds. And I had that in my body. There's been a lot of research to show the connection between mental health and physical experiences. I am now living my best queer life, genuinely proud to be gay and physically so much more well. And I think accepting myself has been a massive part of that. You're welcome to share this in the podcast if you like, although I'm sure you have many other amazing stories to share. And that person would like to remain anonymous. Thank you so much for getting in touch. I think that that is so common that we hold things in our body, pain uh, to do with, with mental health. I know that I've done it when my, when my mental health is worse, it's when my back goes. And uh, if any of you have known me for a while, you'll know that occasionally my, my back goes. A little while ago, actually last year now, I had to use a walking stick on stage for a few gigs because I was in such bloody agony. And it was all linked to my mental health. I know it. 
But thanks so much for highlighting that. And I think you're absolutely right. When you're sort of more at peace with yourself, that's when those things fade away. So thanks for reminding us of that. And I'm so pleased that during the pandemic, you got your sort of bit of queer joy from watching some other stand-ups, including me on YouTube. Ah, that makes me very happy indeed. Before we get into today's conversation, I would love to just have a moment to tell you a little bit about my tour. I'm going back out on the road in autumn. It's the same tour show that I was touring earlier in the year and at tail end of last year. There's been uh, enough demand to put on a third leg of the tour, which is genuinely thrilling to me. Where are you going, Suze? Don't worry, I'm going to let you know. I'm going to Newcastle, Sheffield, Birmingham, Maidstone, Cambridge, Brighton, London, Bournemouth, Peterborough, Belfast, Dublin, Coventry, Chorley, Kendal, Southport, Buxton, Basingstoke, Folkestone, Northampton, Aberdeen, Dundee, Newbury, and as our friend from the first email said, Bury St Edmunds. Please come along. You can find all the details and the tickets at susieruffle.com. It seems that lots of people come to the shows who have never been to stand up before because they've they've come to stand up via the podcast. And if you've never been before, I mean, obviously, I highly recommend it. I love being a stand up. But uh, it seems that lots of people that have never been to a show before and then come have a really great time. It's such a lovely environment. And my audiences are always so gorgeous. It's it's so lovely, actually. Nine times out of 10, a venue member will say to me, someone that works at the venue will say, oh, wow, your audience was so polite at the bar and they were so lovely coming in. Oh, you've got such a friendly audience. And I've known people to strike up chats to people next to them. And actually, a couple of people made friends at a show, two people who have come alone and now they're mates and they go and see other queer stuff together, which is just gorgeous. So if you want to come along to the tour, please do. As I said, my website is susieruffle.com. Okay, let's get on with today's conversation with the brilliant Daniel Fox. Oh, I am very excited for today's conversation with an award-winning comedian, Daniel Fox. Now, I first saw Daniel a couple of years ago at a gig and I thought that he was brilliant. He was brand new and he was already excellent, razor sharp, playful and hilarious. He's also an award-winning writer. He co-wrote the hugely successful musical, Unfortunate, the untold story of Ursula the Sea Witch, which had a sellout run at last year's Fringe Festival and was named by Theatre Weekly as Best Musical at the Fringe. He is also hilarious on TikTok. My favourite character of his is Supervillain's Gay Assistant. He's clocked up more than 6.9 million likes. Impressive stuff indeed. And he's just about to take his first show to the Edinburgh Festival. So I'm very excited to sit down and have a chat with him today. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Oh my God, I'm blushing. What a lovely (laughs) intro. That's so nice of you. Thank you. I would just love to let your listeners know that what yes. they can't see is that Susie has been jade rollering her face. I briefly jade been... rollered my face. <laughs> just Which before we started, I just gave it a quick jade roll while we were just still doing the tech. Glamorous thing I've ever seen. Look, oh. Daniel, you don't understand this. I'm knocking on 40. If I've got to use a jade roller, that so be it. Honestly, like go for it. I, I hope that one day. I just hope it keeps going. I hope one day you're like <laughs> Graham Norton and you're like gua shying your... What <laughs> I really want is, you know, like a mangle, how you, how they used to do mm. clothes. I would just like to roll through a jade oh roller. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so nice. Did you ever go to those like... Oh, we're both from Hampshire. Did you ever go to Play Zone? Yes. Oh, and there was... There kind of was that yes, on like a mass yes. scale. Those kind of like kids... 
mango soft sauce. play kind of yeah mango the, the, the kids mango um <laughs> oh i mean although rather than there being like hyaluronic acid on it instead there's like conjunctivitis yes I think, conjunctivitis and i don't know Poo. Some sort of yeah, poo. Yeah, so some poo, sort of bodily, it? bodily something. Yeah, um, you're about a week away from going up to the festival. I imagine. Oh my a gosh! Bit. Yeah. How are you feeling? Do you know what? Really excited. Great. Which I think is maybe sort of like a sort of um, a gallows energy coming in. Like, no, I won't have it. But I, I feel I, I love the fringe. I've been up loads theatre like musical theatre stuff um yes but I think I've been up for the last eight years in a row I just love the energy up there and I always Mm -hmm. wanted to be kind of I think this is the first time I'm going to feel properly part of it yeah last year I did a a half an hour stand-up show split with my friend Kate Martin um and that was great but there's something about and that actually that was lovely as well performing properly because usually with musical theatre I'm just a just a writer, so I'm not actually on stage. Just a writer. Just a basic bitch writer. But um, there's something about being, I guess because I've all, for all those years that I've been going up, I've been watching people's hours and going like, how amazing. It feels quite wild to be like, doing my own one. Yeah, now people are going to be thinking, how amazing at you? Oh, God. I hope so. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I'm yeah, really I'm excited. Sure I love that. So whereabouts in Hampshire did you grow up? I grew up in... Do you know Bishop's Waltham? I've heard of it. Sure. Yeah, it's like a like a sort of quite big actually town in Hampshire, but between kind of between all the main cities of Hampshire, I think, like Southampton, mm-hmm. Winchester, Portsmouth. Yep. Between that triangle. Um and then and then moved like one village next door, so a place called Wickham. Oh yeah, I know popular. Wickham. Very, very nice. They've got a really posh girls' school, they all wear boater hats. Is yeah, that right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. That feels right. That feels right. It's like a quite nice old market square. I feel like Mr. Wickham off of Pride and Prejudice has some sort of connection to that. Sure. Adds up. She's from Jane, Jane Austen. She's from Hampshire, isn't she? She's um, indeed, yeah. Yeah, it was, it's sort of cute. We just lived on like the, honestly, like a just a, a road with like one neighbour, kind of a mile out of that town for most of my teenage years. So was it quite, did you feel like you were outside of where fun stuff was happening? Yeah, I think so. It's something I'm still finding myself like butting up against now in that, so when when I was there, I just desperately wanted to move to London. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just felt like nothing mattered at all unless it was happening in London. I think because I just had this idea as like a 14 year old that I was, absolutely going to be the next Oscar Wilde. Yes, um, sure. And I, when it came to like going to university, I just applied to, I didn't care which one. I just applied to all of the ones in London. Right. But I don't care which one I go to. I just want to move to London. And now that I've moved to London, I'm like, oh, I think what I actually want to be is like a little cottage core girly collector <laughs> growing my herbs in a thatched barn in um, right. the middle of nowhere. Um, but you've got to do one thing to learn that you want another. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So were you always into musical theatre? Which sounds like a code for the, with a sign there <laughs> from early on. <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Do you know what? Yeah, but I don't think I knew necessarily that. I, so my parents always took us to the theatre and to like panto and stuff mm-hmm. and definitely saw a few musicals. 
And when I was at school, Wicked was like the big thing everyone was loving. Oh God, you're so much um, younger than me. I hate you. Go on. <laughs> so we were all like walking home from school. Being Alfie. Being, yeah, being like Melika Nama, like walking along the, the roads. Um, and then, but I didn't know I wanted really to do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Other than, other than that I knew that when I was watching it, all I wanted was to sort of like stride up and be part of it. Right. Um, it was sort of an accident. I actually got involved with it because I wrote a play when I was still at university. And then my friend who was also at university, who sort of like produced it, was like, oh, I think it could be a, a musical actually. Um, so then we paired up with uh, Robin Grant, who, is, who I'm still right with now. She's my yeah. sort of co-writer of musicals. And she's like an amazing musical person. And we turned that into a musical and then just started writing musicals from then on. And I haven't written a play since. Right. So I sort of fell into doing musical theatre and then was like, oh, I actually love this. I love writing lyrics. I love the whole world of it. I think there's something really amazing about combining those two art forms of music and theatre. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love musical theatre. Anyone that listens to the podcast will know that I reference lots of musicals. When you came up to university, was London the thi- was it as exciting as you thought it was going to be? I think it was actually. Where did I think, you go? Uh, I went to King's, which is so. I think the thing that I didn't, I did appreciate it, but I don't think I quite clocked because it it was everything I thought moving to London was because the halls that we got to stay in were on Stamford Street, which is like right next to Waterloo Bridge. It's like so central. Oh my God, that's really like, good. Yeah, and the walk to Union was like just a three walk across Waterloo Bridge and into like Somerset House, which is so I was like, you know, walking through Covent Garden within five minutes from my door and sort of being like, well, this is what moving to London's like, obviously. Yeah. And then second year old round and I had to move to like zone nine. <laughs> I was like, oh no, this is what moving to London's like. Um, okay, that's cool. But I think also when I was growing up was like prime rom-com, Ugly Betty, Devil Wears Prada. Like there was some sort of vibe in the air of like move to the big city. And yeah, sure. Katie Tunstall's playing where you cross the road. And yeah. the, like, I think I've, I've desperately, desperately wanted that. I just wanted some glamour, actually. Are you telling me that Bishop Storford isn't glamorous? Bishop's Waltham, listen, there are some medieval reenactments and I think they've now got a Costa. Um, so there you go. So there you are. Were you, from a young age, were you sort of quite, like you mentioned Oscar Wilde before, were you considered to be sort of quite eccentric? I think in retrospect, actually, yeah. Because um, you talk about your family of- on stage and you talk about the fact that they're, that you're sort of quite different to them. I am, and yeah. So they're all really funny. Um, annoying. Like, so annoying. <laughs> Shut up. Um, comedies. They're, they're all really into comedy and joking around and sort of roasting each other a bit. Right. Um, and they're like pretty liberal. Um, but I, I sort of identify a lot with like when when I hear like Tom Allen talking of because mm-hmm. my parent no, no one else in my family has sort of a, a, a poshish voice. My, right. Both my parents are from North Yorkshire. My brother's got more of a Portsmouth accent, I think. Oh, yeah. 
And then, yeah, and then I- That's my I, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I've, I don't know why I sort of started talking about this other than that I think I just liked the characters I was seeing on things that were being a bit more, I don't know, even just sort of watching like Maggie Smith be a duchess or whatever. I was like, well, I'll be that, I think. Oh, I'll um, do that instead. I'll do that instead, maybe. So yeah, I think I was a sort of like slightly pompous child. Do you think that you were sort of like it's quite interesting that you like choose like a grand dame of the theatre as like oh I'll be her instead? <laughs> how much how much sort of queer visibility was there for young Daniel Fox? Hmm, not I don't know, not loads actually. Mm. How old are you? Twenty nine, mm. nineteen ninety four. Not loads, like some. Alan Carr, I remember yeah. watching and being like, okay, that's amazing. That's someone just being completely themselves and like yeah. owning this on their own terms. Um, but it was still definitely at the point when it's like, if there was a gay character in something, it was like, whoa. Um, mm. Will and Grace, I like stuck to like a limpet and just watched yeah. over and over and over again. Because I think it just presented like a slightly different type of just a variety of like ways you could live. Yeah. Um, but I'm sort of talking about this in my show. This my show is around. I think most of the queer representation from like pre 2005 was like villains in things. Mm -hmm. Just the campness and like okay. the coding of like villains was always. That's where you got to see and be like, oh well, they're the extravagant ones that do their own thing and aren't necessarily trying to be like- Yeah, Jafar's quite camp. Jafar, um, Hades, all the Disney ones. Most yeah. of the Bond villains, there's a lot of cats, there's a lot of cocktails, there's a lot of nice suits and sort of <laughs> mincing men. Um, and, and butch women, like there's a lot of like yeah. whatever the, whatever the opposite of the gender is, of the expectation, yeah. that's, the villain. Yeah, I guess Ursula's got some dikey vibes. Super. Yeah, totally. And they based her off a drag queen, drag, uh, Divine. Oh, right. Yeah, like directly drew, essentially just drew Divine. And we're like, there's Ursula. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I had a bit of like a reaction to it, I think, of like, oh, because I was, I got progressively camper into my teens. And then I think when I was like, later teens, I sort of snapped back into, or not even back, but like away into this um, sort of internalized homophobia thing of being like, I don't want to be the camp gay friend in things. Right. So and you being were like, out oh. by this point. I was out. Yeah. I was out quite young. I think at school, I think I was out from like 11 years old. <gasps> wow. That's really young. Yeah. It felt young. Um, well, you just told people just like, yeah, I think, so I met my best friend at the time was pretty much like the only other boy in school who was gay. Mm -hmm. We sort of made friends that we bonded over like that we both played, I think it was like Habbo Hotel or something like that. Like one of those kind of like Neopets. Or... Oh, right. Okay. Is that like a little Game Boy type thing? Pretty much. Yeah. It's like, it was like an online. An alive. Yeah. Neopets. It was like the, like the, you did it on a laptop, but it was basically that it was like right. online beanie babies almost, which again, shouldn't have had to come out, but we sort of came out to each other. I'm like, Oh my God. And then 
because I was quite camp, that bullying pretty rampant, but it got yeah. to the point of being like, I, I don't know if you experienced this, but a lot of the like bullying is just questioning, like aggressive <laughs> questioning. Like, are you gay? Are you gay? Or you you get like, it's, it's almost like a violent curiosity to it. Was there a point when you just said yes? Yeah. Yeah. I think like by like year eight, so sort of 11, 12 years old, I was being like, yeah. And th- that quite a lot took some of the wind out of the sails a bit. Mm-hmm. Until then they were like, okay, well he is, so let's just get it, <laughs> I think. Right. You always hope that like, you're ten, mm, just under 10 years younger than me. You sort of hope that people will be, you know, having better times at school. But did you, you said the bullying was pretty rampant. Like, did you have like a group of mates? Did you have like a place to sort of hide? Um, yeah, I was friends with like, I had a really nice big group of friends. So there was that, but it wasn't, it was like, I think, so I think, and I'm almost bitter about it, but also happy about it uh, for the world. I think I was the very last generation or like even like kind of last couple of years who got properly no, I can't say that because I'm sure there's people still being bullied. Even now, of course, there will be. But like, yeah. I think there's been a real seismic change since I was at school. Yes, and even people country, like yeah. three or four years younger are experiencing like a much more like progressed youth. And it's like there's a culture of young people now. There's books. Is, there's yeah, like a, you can find people online. You can find a community if you haven't got a community at school. You can find one on social media and stuff it's, like that. it's like cool to be like out and proud about whatever you are, which is so amazing. And it just wasn't quite there yet. Yes. Um, there was like, I don't know, a gay person in Big Brother or a trans person in Big Brother or whatever. And everyone yeah. would just like nonstop be joking about that every day at school sort of thing. Yeah. And you would get called it or whatever. Yes. So I think, and I'm only just kind of getting to the last year or two of actually kind of like acknowledging to myself, like the extent of it, because I yeah. think, I think at the time I didn't feel it that deeply in my core because I just deflected everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd sort of like, I felt like annoyed about it actually. Cause it's like, cause I think there's a thing of being like, I can't believe this is happening to me because mm-hmm. I think I think this is almost quite a nice thing that I think is common to quite a lot of queer people. It's being like, I can't believe this is happening to me. It's outrageous because I'm better than all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, how yeah. dare this be happening to me? Um, <laughs> speaking to a therapist about it and she was like, it's sort of no wonder you went into comedy because... She was like, the two things that she was like, when I have queer clients who've experienced bullying, the two things that they always end up wanting to do is either be like a witch or a wizard, like a, like have some sort of superpower or right. be famous and perform. And they're kind of the same thing, which is yeah. like, I can't put a curse on all thing. of Yeah, it's like, I'm not physically strong, but I know like mentally, I'm running rings around you. Well, I can't. Yeah. I can't put a curse on you, but I can make a horrible joke about your mum. <laughs> you can. It's true. Yeah. And so, were you using humour as a deflection back then? Yeah, definitely. In a big way. Mm, yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
yeah, a sort of superior camp. I think there's, I think there's like two types of, or multiple types of camp, but I wasn't so much on the like joyful Jonathan Van Ness, Hey Queen kind of vibe. I was more the like, arch old lady camp yeah 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 like fuck you fuck your mum yeah exactly (laughs) but then had a weird reaction of in my later teens going completely the other way and being like I'm gonna be a lad now oh wow I can't imagine Daniel Fox the lad no well listen (laughs) <laughs> Neither could the Seeing world. Seeing as you and my wife dress exactly the same. Yeah. We, oh my God. Sort of met, androgynous chic. <laughs> yeah. I met um, Susie's wife at a, a gig like a month ago. Yeah. And we were just dressed in exactly the same billowing black outfit. But then you didn't clock it. But then you text me being like, she dresses in a really chic way. And I was like, <laughs> she was wearing the same outfit as you. <laughs> You're just yeah. you're just telling me that you loved what you were wearing. Yeah, I just love myself. <laughs> Talk to me about Daniel Fox, the lad. I think that I was like, I was happily gay. I was like, I'm definitely gay. Super happy mm-hmm. being gay. Don't mind being gay. But I'm not going to be one of those gays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that in, yeah. in our community. Yeah, so there's a lot of sort of ranking of, oh, you know, so what kind of gay you can be, how butcher girl can be, oh my God. how camper guy can be, what what we're allowed to do to still fit into the mainstream somehow. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think the root of, I'm not saying anything profound here, I'm sure this is like a million of people will have written books on this, but the root of homophobia is misogyny. Yeah. Definitely. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not, they don't care anywhere near as much if you're a big butch gay boy no. or if you're a very femme gay woman yeah like, well at least you're sticking to what you should be yeah exactly but it's the breaking of the rules yeah it's subverting what they believe to be the gender norms yeah exactly and like you can't live on your own terms <laughs> and watch me yeah off i go here's my cape i think i just went through like a decade of being like I'm going to work. As long as a decade. Yeah, I think it was until like That's two, three years ago that I... Really? Yeah, I took over lockdown almost. I just had a moment like, oh my God, fuck it. I used to try and lower my voice and sp- I used to kind of speak like down the end, just kind of like maintain a monotone all the time because I was like, oh, that's how straight people talk. This, it mad. That's so insane. And, no, but not um, mad because I think that really, if you say, oh God, that's mad. Like it's sort of lessens the fact that you like how sad it is that you had to there was something within you that was saying it's okay to be gay but not yourself Mm. which is so sad so sad you know dismissing it is yeah that's true yeah yeah sorry go on i think i thought that you couldn't be (laughs) i thought i couldn't be myself in that way and sexy and or loved i think that was the core of it it's like i could i could either lean into what i really love so like tilda swinton kate blanchett maggie smith uh drama oh my God, i love all them are you not a lesbian <laughs> you know how you think your wife dresses i know actually the same person uh, um go on yeah. the rachel vices i get it yeah 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 and i just wanted to be I always gravitated to those characters. I loved them. I thought they were fabulous. I was like, I desperately just want to wear a cape and crazy jewelry and bleach my hair and swish around. And then 
on the other side, I was like, but I also want a <laughs> straight acting, lovely toxic term, lad partner. Right. Because that is what, do you have, do, in, do gay women use straight acting? Uh, no, I think we'd more likely say femme or... Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't use the word straight acting. No, I mean, I wouldn't now, but that is like, but I, I would just say remember that's that. definitely something. Yeah, I think that, I think with the lesbians, it, it for a long time, there, there, there was less sort of characters to be, it was sort of butch mm-hmm. or femme. Um, yeah. but now, no, I think that there's, there's such a sort of, uh, thrust of chic lesbians mm. that the people that now we're aware that we can be we can be all things my tiktok the algorithm has nailed me so completely that all i have is endless chic lesbians doing and it's not it's not even always even about them being a chic lesbian they'll just be like making a nice recipe and i'm like but they are in the background with their amazing hair and do you follow <laughs> sapphic sandwich on instagram no but i'm following them right now it would just be like, what came first? The hands in the pockets or Jodie Comer with hands in her pockets. Like it's just really <laughs> stupid, but hilarious. Just loads of pictures of Jodie Comer looking wistfully. Oh, I love pictures that so Pictures of Rachel much. Vice in suits. It's just, it's just very hot and, and chic. But um, I know exactly what you mean by straight acting guys. Yeah. Right. And that was the, that was the, the term that was being used on the dating apps and everything. Like straight acting only. Like, which is just, Stockholm syndrome, isn't it? It's like, yeah. Um, and would you have like checked that for yourself at that point? Like, I'm straight acting. I think maybe a bit. I think I wanted to. Yeah. I was like, I know I'm never going to be like a gruff bloke. Yeah. But I can be like, like a like a little lad, like a like yeah, a, right, like a Tom Holland kind of that. Vibe. Right. Sure. 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 Sure, sure, sure. I would like go through phases of being like, right, I'm going to get into football. And I just sit there like hating every second of oh, it. Oh, no. I'm like, I'm like trying to learn all their names. I mean, like, I hate this. And like rugby, I'd try and watch an episode. It wouldn't be <laughs> for me. Couldn't get through a box set. Um, yeah. And like even down to clothes, I'd try and wear like slightly more yeah. Scandi sport twink clothing rather than. Right. Um, I just went Would you on be and popping on. a collar on a polo shirt? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and it got to a point, and then it got to like, genuinely, I think it was lockdown. I think two things happened, which was that one, uh, I was in a relationship where for the first time, I'd like specifically like forced myself not to date someone who made me feel like I wanted to be something else. Right. Because uh, I'd just like gone through it so many times of that and always trying to like adapt to be what I thought that person would find the most attractive. Right. And instead I just was like, like let this person who just seems to like you feel you. And when you joke about, like I would joke about like all the things that I'd normally joke about with friends being like, haha, mm-hmm. you know, put on the little character for a second of being like, my cape and I look like a, a divorced widow who's murdered her husband or whatever it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it would get to the point where and I'm still with him now. Um, he would send me links to like, I don't know, a jumper that had a cape on it. I mean, like, you should get this. You'd look amazing in that. 
I'm like, whoa, <laughs> wait, what? I can be loved and do that. That's insane. Mm. And I also think there was such a frustration during lockdown of like lost time. I had a moment of going like, oh my God, what a waste of a life if I keep doing this. Like if I die whenever, like when I'm older or whatever, and and I've like just never, never been the things I like to be. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. And I sort of came out of lockdown like a different person, but actually myself. And that means that quite quickly you were that that self quite publicly. Yeah. Like immediately. Yeah, because you you on stage is like you've got on, you know, your pals mm. quite often. Yeah, and always. And, you, and it's very chic and it's very, you know, all the things that you are. Mm. And, you know, you wear that really well and it really suits your onstage persona. It all works, you know, it's a whole thing. But that means that you, you sort of were like, right, fuck it, that's it. I'm doing this loudly. I'm not going to do it stealth. Oh, yeah, no. There was no, like, easing it in of being like, like... <laughs> I don't know, one single pearl on a bracelet and being like, what do you yeah. think of that? And like, wait, are there two today? Oh, what they there? Um, <laughs> I also like that you've managed to slip in, easing it in through this podcast. Easy. <laughs> um, just I, ease it in. Go on. Just ease it in. Just thumbing in my personality. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I think because it was always there, he was just waiting being like, when in, can literally I, in the wings, literally in the wings, being like, when can I exist, please? And always coming out when I was with friends. Yeah. Like if I was like high on life and mm-hmm. showing off and, or in the moment when everyone's having a really fun time. And I think that's when everyone's characters come out. Yeah, like sure. when you see a, um, a meme or whatever, and you go like, you send it to a friend, you're like, this is you. And it will literally be like, friends will send me that one where it's like birds that look like divorcees. And it will be like, <laughs> be like this is you. Um, that is, there's something there that everyone's seeing. And it's like, that is the sort of like archetype of you or like the little caricature mm-hmm. of you. And it's, yeah. so it's just there ready. And I almost have like a ritualistic thing of being like, well, I'm ordering a whole new wardrobe of just things I actually like. And I'm not going to wear whatever I was wearing, like sweaters with white stripes running down the arm and like whatever, um, because I don't want to. I'm ordering a boatload of turtlenecks, some cos trousers, some pearls and some whatever. And it's sort of like, did it? I was like, oh, actually, I just, okay, okay, here we go. And did you find that the world took to you in a different way? Do you know what? Yeah. And also... I did comedy a year before lockdown is when I started stand up properly. And I was not being myself then. Mm-hmm. And then I lockdown happened and I came out and I did stand up afterwards as myself and not thinking in my mind, okay, cool. Do these jokes, but try and present yourself in a way that if there's any like gay lads in, they'll be like, Oh yeah, he's also attractive. And fit. like, I was just like, oh, fuck that. I'm just going to be myself. And I was like, 10 times funnier and had yep. so much more fun because I think people were like, oh, there you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is a video, which I've <laughs> never revealed. There is a video online of me doing stand-up at university 
in like 2015, when I am in the middle of this bullshit, where I'm literally on stage and I'm trying to tell jokes like this and I'm sort of telling these, and it's mad to me to see that person. It's like drag. It feels mm. like a totally different human being. It makes me really sad to watch it actually, but it's fascinating. Yeah. It's so good that you've, I don't know, that you managed to find that persona very quickly for your stand-up because I think that when we're pretending to be other people on stage, which I did a lot of when I first started, mm. it, you can lose the love of it really quickly because it's not as fun because you're, you're, you're doing like a mental gymnastics all the time of what you want to be perceived as. Yeah. Yeah, you're trying to, I, it's literally exactly what I was doing in relationships of like preempting mm. what I thought they'd want. Yeah. And would be most palatable to an audience. Yeah. And the moment you stop is the moment you go, oh, well, this is funny. Yeah. Because like, people right. are actually able to connect with me now. And yeah. do you know what? There is still, and I find you can't say anything and you can't. People just have to figure it out for themselves, I think. But there are still people, I have friends even, that I watch on stage and I go, oh, but when I talk to you, you're not like this. Yeah, right. And I think you're trying to... The part of you that you're not giving that audience is so funny. Yes, And just yes, let it yes. out. Like, just let it out. Be proud of it and embrace it and they will love it. Yeah. And I think it's the same for, for people in, you know, who who aren't in our industry. But, you know, quite often that bit that, you know, whether it's a queer thing or whether it's a you know, a, a, an unusual hobby or just some a quirk about you. Actually, when you let people in and you're like, oh, I'm kind of this person. I, I, I do actually love Dungeons and Dragons or I do yeah. like doing this thing. That is actually the most endearing thing about people. Because you yeah. go, oh yeah, we're all kind of odd and we're yeah. all different and we all like these different things. Oh my God, so true. And like, it's so, it, do you know what? It infuriates me. But do you remember being at school and adults saying to you and teachers and everyone being like, oh, you all want to be the same now, but like, don't worry because all your little quirks when you're older, everyone, you'll like be really thrilled that you have something different or like mm -hmm. people will love that you've got something different. It's like, shut up. No, they won't. And now I'm like, oh yeah, actually wouldn't have a career if I was, if I'd actually managed, achieved becoming like everyone else. Yeah, totally. It's exactly right. Because I think the moment you're out of school, the definition of what is cool is completely like there is no hierarchy in the world. Totally. And I think the only thing that is objectively cool is loving something and doing it. Yes. Whatever yeah. it is, you could collect Smurfs. If you know everything yeah. about it and you love it and there's like a glow in your eyes when you talk about it, I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being unapologetically yourself is yeah. about as cool as it gets. Yeah. Oh, how deep and lovely of us. How deep and lovely. How deep and lovely. And so you're obviously about to go up to the fringe. Mm -hmm. What, uh, what, what are you writing another show? Are you taking something else up there? What's going on with all that stuff? So I'm doing my debut hour of stand up. Two dates were already sold out. I saw that's amazing. Two dates are sold out. This is the thing that's been lovely. I mean, it's mad to me, but it's, um, it's from all the like online stuff I've been doing like, again almost as part of this like 
oh my God, enough. I'm just going to do everything I want to do yeah. and not let what people think. It, my my thoughts of what people might think get in the way. I just like, I'm going to do this. I've been wanting to do sketches forever. Me and my friends practically speak to each other in sketch of just like little yeah. bits, constantly in characters. I'm just going to start making them. And that thing of, again, when you put out what you genuinely find funny, yeah. I think the wonderful thing about TikTok and Instagram, I know you're finding this as well at the moment with like, like just finds the right people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that is your audience and you don't have to suffer through like people that don't get it. Yeah. Because it's for the people that do and 100%. they come. And then I've just had this really nice experience and I feel incredibly lucky that I'm getting kind of an audience coming to stuff so far that are like just a lovely group of like gays and gals. Yeah. And wine mums and <laughs> like just fun and sweet, nice people who Yeah, that want love. to sit and listen to a story. Yeah, and like love a laugh. Yeah. And how has that been, this TikTok thing? Because it's like a massive, it's such a new part of our industry. Like yeah. I remember being like, oh, YouTube, that's never going to take off. I was already doing comedy when that when I did, then I said that. If I had become a YouTuber, then I would oh be gosh. a millionaire by now. To have your own energy drink. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> obviously that's the big dream for me, but yeah. I can't talk too much about it on the podcast. No, but soon. It's just jade. All those carcinogens you put in it. Are, uh, anyway, we'll get. I, I put it through a jade mangle. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really good. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the most wrinkle-free drink on the market. <laughs> there you go. What more do you want? Nothing. But how's that been, like, putting yourself out there in that respect of, like, I know that you went over to LA to do something, no, oh, New York to do something York, with a netball. Yeah, with loads yeah of, that was Are nuts. you an influencer? I think that's what I'm, I've been waiting for you to say it. I got, I got I'm there. so <laughs> sorry. Um, Should that have been in the bio at the well, top? Well, listen, influencer influenced. and starlet. Um, yes, it, yeah, it's mad, actually. So I started doing stuff on TikTok. How long ago was this? It must have been like, it must have, I think the start of 2001. I think that's, uh, 2001. 2001, <laughs> I 2021. Think the start, I think I was, I was seven years old. No, it was the start of <laughs> 2021, yeah. There start you go. of 21. Um, I, again, it was like, it's because I was so early then in stand-up and I'm still early now, but like I was an open micer and it was like the worst Zoom gigs imaginable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah I mean, open mic gigs are terrible and then putting them on Zoom, oh I God. mean, that is honestly crazy shit. Yeah, the combination of open mic and Zoom is when turd collides. It was <laughs> <laughs> a great album name. It was, it was a nightmare and it was that or put stuff out in another way. And I was like, I'm just going to mm -hmm. try. And there were like all these amazing people starting to do it. Like Alistair Green and Caitlin mm -hmm. Riley and all these people doing it. And I'm like, oh, maybe I could do that. Mm. So yeah, I started doing that. And it sort of took a while actually, but did eventually one video just like suddenly had a moment. And then mm -hmm. from then on, it was a bit easier of putting stuff out and figuring out what I wanted to do. And I sort of love it because it's, I was so sniffy about TikTok when it appeared. I've been like, oh my God, it's a nice try. And still you see people in, when they talk about it being like, TikTok is just children dancing. Yeah. And it was not actually, because it's sort of the whole world 
of yeah, yeah, things yeah. you could want are on there from like I follow a 90 year old woman that plays the drums sure. and why shouldn't you and why should I not who's going to stop me comedians recipe like everything you want yeah so found a bit of an audience on there and then that's sort of then spread onto like Facebook and Instagram and yeah and it's sort of brought a lot of opportunities that I don't think I would have had otherwise which has been really nice yeah lovely and I think it's possibly the future in a lot of ways for like a lot of different careers because it sort of lets you have your own audience on your own terms and you're not gatekept by any commissioner television. or anyone going yeah. like well i don't think that's what our audience right want right now and like, well my audience yeah. want it and i'm going on tour so goodbye yeah it's mad i mean and, and you will sell more tickets than people that have done lots and lots of telly that have yeah. not found their audience on telly that's the mad thing it's crazy isn't it yeah it's really bonkers but yeah and then instagram <laughs> brought me over to do a a thing around the met gala not uh, in may um, which was insane and felt like I'd manifest it because I literally just finished reading Anna Wintour's biography. Amazing. And then they were like, do you want to come to the Met Gala? <laughs> yeah. Well, I say to Met Gala, I was in the hotel, the Mark Hotel, which is the hotel that everyone gets ready in before the Met right. Gala. And they sort of did a, a pre and after party. And in the mean, with like all these TikTokers and Instagrammers, were you there by yourself though? Oh yeah. yeah. That sounds so frightening. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think I was like, do you know what? I think there was a bit of me that was like, can we swear on this podcast? Yeah, of course. I think I was like, oh my God, fucking finally <laughs> play the Katie Tunstall. I'm a girl in the world in the city. <laughs> <laughs> I am. You're in the big city. Oh, I am walking through the big city. Da, 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 da. I'm going to the, the this hotel to watch like Doja Cat get changed into a dress and then go to whatever. Um, sure. And they, the point I think was just to like flood Instagram with lots of content around the Met Gala. But it was quite funny because it was me, another comedian, an American comedian called Julian. I think his Instagram is like Julian Cookies or something, but he's he does these like amazing lip sync videos to like iconic lines from films. But he's like okay. dressed up in it's immaculate. We were the only two kind of comedy people, and everyone else was a fashion influencer. And there was just a lot of like I met so many sweet people, but sure. there were also some real some absolute twats terrors. Yeah. Right, just people sure. walking up to you and being like, hmm, so who do you think is going to be serving mother this evening? Like, and that means who's the <laughs> Who's going to be an iconic gay icon legend woman this evening, I think is the vibe. Right, okay. Um, sure. And so I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm gonna, I made a comedy review of the bathroom. So Sure, why not? You know I mean? Review those lose. Review those. Do you, the darkest thing, I mean, this is in the little video I made, but at the end... <laughs> I was like going through all the drawers and like trying the, like, t like rubbing the toilet paper to be like, how thick is it? Lovely. Very glam. Heated toilet seats, all that stuff. But at the end I opened the cabinet doors beneath the sink and there was some bathroom weighing scales and a single <gasps> roll of toilet paper. Isn't that the bleakest thing you've ever heard in your yeah, life? Yeah, that feels really bleak. Really, really bleak. Really bleak. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, I'm going to see. 
Oh, Daniel, I've loved chatting to you. Now, the thing that we do at the end of every podcast is I ask people sort of to give a message to, you can either think of a version of you or someone that's listened to this show that has experienced something that you have been through, you know, in recent times. And I'm thinking of that version of Daniel that was popping the polo of a polo shirt, mm. putting on a very deep voice, trying to be the right kind of gay to mm-hmm. be lovable. Yeah. Which, of course, you were lovable all along. You just had to just had to work that out. Yeah. Um, but if you could reach out to, to him or indeed someone like that version of you at the moment that's going through a similar thing, what would you say? It sounds so arrogant to say it, doesn't it? But that's maybe just... I think I'd say you are... Who you actually are has so much to offer. And by doing what you're doing of hating yourself you are taking that away from the world. And like, you cannot go through your life leaning out of your own body. Like you've got to find a way to get back in and someone, the right person will love you for who you are. And you cannot find someone to love you for who you're not. Ah. Perfect. The perfect way to end our conversation. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Susie. This has been so nice. It's my pleasure. Now I've got to get back to jade rolling. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm furious I didn't think of doing that. I wish I'd come on in like a full face mask. (laughs) Or one of those, those red LED light masks. I would have loved that. That was Daniel Fox. I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation. I certainly did. You can always get in touch with me. Please do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. And I've got another bonus episode next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.